coming to you from the Barrier Island Center on Virginia's Eastern Shore. This is Sharing the Mic with David Phillips. In each episode, we try to give you a different perspective of life on the Eastern Shore, whether it's about an occupation or simply stories of what people who have lived here have done in their careers. If you like what you hear, share it with your friends. Sharing the Mic is a monthly podcast with each new episode appearing the first of each month. My guest is Megan Ames, who has lived on the eastern shore of Virginia for almost 20 years. She began working for the Barrier Island Center about two years ago. The Director of Development and Planning, Megan is no stranger to residents of the eastern shore. Because of her unique background, she has a special perspective on the Barrier Island Center and the eastern shore. Megan Ames, welcome to Sharing the Mic. If you would, tell us a bit about your background, where you grew up and where you went to school, and then how did you get to the shore? Thanks so much, David. Um, thanks for having me. It's it's a pleasure to be on this side of things. Um, you know, I've lived on the Eastern Shore for almost 20 years now. It's hard to believe. Um, I'm originally from Northeast Ohio. I grew up in the, the Cleveland area. And then, um, you know, after my my fair share of lake effect winners, I um, applied to several colleges no further north than Virginia. I, I meant business about that. Um, and I ended up at Rollins College, which is a, a wonderful liberal arts school in Winter Park, Florida, which is not a terrible place to be. And, um, and there I majored in English and explored and, and developed my love of writing. And I learned a great deal uh, experientially about servant leadership there. Um, my Rollins years were, were a really special time. And, um, and after college, I moved to Washington, D.C., to pursue what I thought was going to be a career um, in public relations. But I ended up landing a job with the Washington Speakers Bureau, which is a lecture agency based out of Old Town, Alexandria. And uh, they represent keynote speakers and send them all over the world, reaching audiences at corporate conferences, uh, lecture series, college and university audiences, you name it. And um, I, I met my husband, Ted, who's a, a native of Onancock in the D.C. area, a couple of years into our life there. And uh, we were married in Old Town and, and moved to the shore fairly shortly thereafter. I uh, was fortunate to be a part of that kind of first crop of, of teleworkers, as they were dubbed. And um, I stayed in, in my same job working remotely from here on the Eastern Shore for, for another 16 years after that, um, fighting with, with Wi-Fi all along the way um, and, and still do now a little bit. But, um, but that was a real struggle with, with connectivity in those early days. In that position as an events manager for the Washington Speakers Bureau, you were in contact with some pretty noteworthy people. Can you tell us who some of those folks were? Sure, yes. Um, where to begin? Gosh, it was it was a pleasure and an honor to work with and support some some truly great leaders, some authors, athletes, media personalities over my 21 years that I spent at WSB. I'll name a couple. Um, Dr. Robert Gates, who was Secretary of Defense from 2006 to 2011. Uh, it's probably doubtful that that our you know that he requires an introduction with the sharing the mic audience. But 
but Dr. Gates was the director of the CIA. He was the president of Texas A&M University, a Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, an author, and more recently, the chancellor of the College of William and Mary. And um, and it goes on and on. He, he does not have a short bio. But Dr. Gates, he's truly a, an exemplary leader. I have so much respect for him. He's, fun fact, he's really the only Secretary of Defense to work for both Republican and Democratic administrations. He was the SecDef for Presidents Bush, 43, and President Obama. And that really kind of tells you everything you need to know about his authenticity and capability as a, as a lifelong public servant. He's truly an, an amazing, incredible man who really has all of my admiration and respect. I also worked quite closely for many years with Doris Kearns Goodwin. What a delight to work with that national treasure for so many years. I've, I've heard her call that by many folks, and, I, and I'm here to tell you that it really is true. She is a treasure and a very animated and personable historian. Doris is able to speak to and resonate with a, a wide variety of audiences, every, everyone from students to lifelong learners, that more mature crowd. You know, she herself is a learner, and she has an insane appetite for new people and places and things. And I can't, I can't count the number of times I had to be the, the bad guy and interrupt a book signing, a photo op, or a post-lecture conversation with an attendee to whisk her off to a waiting car. She never, never met somebody that she couldn't engage in a wonderful conversation with. I'm hearing that you not only did their bookings, but you also traveled with them on occasion. Is that correct? A little bit. Um, I didn't do as much of that as some of the other staff did, but but I did have a chance to travel some, um, which was wonderful, especially in my earlier days before I started a family. And then there's a, the rare times, and I, one that I can count on that I'll tell you about, that a speaker came came home, so to speak. So in, in late 2018, there was an opportunity that developed that that really became the highlight of my lecture um, agency career. So Doris was traveling the country at that time on a book tour for her uh, Leadership in Turbulent Times book. Talk about a title that certainly hasn't lost its relevance the past several years. But anyhow, she was in the D.C. area for an appearance right around the same time that the Eastern Shore Historical Society, now Shore History, was hosting a lecture program. They hosted the uh, Joan Marshall Lecture Series, which was named after the late Johnny Marshall Joan Johnny Marshall, who was a former president of the Historical Society and a strong supporter of, of Shore history. And the stars just kind of aligned and we were able to confirm Doris for that lecture. And uh, she spoke at the Nandua High School Auditorium on December 1st, 2018 to a really large um, and charged, engaged crowd. And it was so neat to look out. I was seated backstage to look out at the audience from my chair and see so many familiar faces. It was fabulous. I was part of that crowd. Oh, that's amazing. You see, we're one of those familiar faces. It really, it was such a treat. It was a true treat to have her on the shore. You know, her books were for sale in the lobby. There was a huge line to chat with her afterwards. And personally, it was really a joy to introduce her to the shore and to my family. And she's heard about my boys for years and years and 
had the opportunity to meet them. And Dora stayed at the Charlotte Hotel in Hancock, And she's just one who likes to just have a, have a regular experience. So she wanted to sit at the bar at the Charlotte and have a hamburger and a nice glass of Church Creek Cab Franc afterwards. It was a wonderful way to introduce her to the shore. And she was fascinated by the history here and the scenery and the way of life. And, and she hopes to visit again. And, you know, it was an incredible weekend that it still brings a smile to my face just now as I think about it. How did you initially find out about the job opening at the BIC? It's funny because the BIC job kind of kind of found me. I wasn't looking for a new position, but, you know, kind of like so many things here at the Barry Allen Center and I guess in, in life in general, um, it was the right right opportunity at the right time. Sally Dickinson, whom I've known for years, called me up and we started talking and the rest is history. I was at the time and remain thrilled to work so so closely here with the Eastern Shore community in a place where I've lived now longer than anywhere else that's home for me. And as much as I did enjoy my previous position, there's there's something to be said about working in the place where you live that's so rewarding. And I didn't I didn't anticipate that element of things, but it's been a, a wonderful added extra. How do you think your previous position with the Washington Speakers Bureau informs uh, your current job? Well, that's a good question. My previous life, my previous job there, it was a super fast-paced industry and I was coordinating logistics, travel details, briefing papers, doing all those things at all hours, which was super challenging, especially growing a young family. But I think the the sales nature of that job, you know, I switched obviously from a fast-paced sales organization to, to the nonprofit world. So you would think that that's a huge leap. There's no connecting of the dots there, but really they are because both roles really have communication at the heart of things. So listening to what people need and what people want and communicating is a huge, huge part of of what I do here every day. And so it's funny, it really wasn't as much of a leap as I expected even. So you're the director of development and planning. It sounds to me like there are two jobs that you're doing. Uh, Can you tell me how they interface with one another and just exactly what you do. Sure, sure. You know, it's my job to raise funds for the Barrier Island Center by reaching out to our base of extremely supportive members and friends and and via grants from generous foundations and groups, both here on the shore and outside of our immediate community. You know, there's also that planning aspect to my position. So, you know, the objective that I'm looking at what our needs are now and what our needs are in the future, a few years ahead and further out. Once again, it just all boils down to that communication. As recently as within the past six months, um, we've worked together. I've worked with a subcommittee from our wonderful board of directors, and we have been working on our strategic plan. And when we started off, we were thinking, okay, what's the next five years going to look like for the Barrier Island Center? And then we thought, you know, that might be a little bit too too much of a time. Let's think about just rewinding, rewinding to the past three years. If you go backwards, gosh, think of how much Um, everything has changed, our lives, the economy, everything in the past three years with the pandemic and such. So we're focusing on a a three-year window looking forward, creating a roadmap that's really doable for the Bear Island Center. And the funny thing is, well, I guess it's not funny. I guess it means we're we're set off on the right path is that as we went through the various pillars and objectives and, and benchmarks and whatnot, we saw, you know, these are things that for the most part we are doing on a daily basis. And so how can we enhance those things and kind of push the needle further to grow the BIC. What do you think your greatest challenge in this job is? I was extremely fortunate to join the Bear Island Center at a time 
when the current and former staff and boards of directors had really set the organization on a very stable and forward thinking path. The um, education, of course, lies at the heart of the BIC's mission and impact. And one of the greatest challenges is really having the time and bandwidth to reach all of the audiences, both here on, on and off the shore that we'd like to. We, we don't charge admission to the museum. We're not gathering revenue there. And we offer so many free programs. Um, so fundraising and building relationships, those things are really critical. We do have, uh, you know, a series of, of things throughout the year that help us generate funds. We have our annual appeal in the late fall. We have our, our infamous oyster roast um, in February, which which really is our main fundraiser, event fundraiser. We reach out to folks for sponsorships and then, of course, ticket sales. And then moving ahead and through the spring, we have our annual membership drive in March. So I'm really involved from the special event side of things, most especially with the oyster roast. And it's, it's not even too early now to start contacting me for sponsorship. So we're always looking out um, months ahead to try to get things going. Is there anything programmatically that you think the BIC might introduce that would enhance its presence on the shore? Well, I, the BIC has has developed such a, a beautiful and educational body of work uh, via the seven, now soon to be eight films that we've produced all with director Jim Spione. The first of film in that series, Our Island Home, that we play. That's the film we play for visitors in the museum theater, um, which incidentally, the theater is now dedicated to to former executive director Laura Vaughn as a nice uh, tribute to that favorite room of hers. But Our Island Home really sets the tone and background for visitors before they explore the galleries up on the second floor of the museum. And uh, just this past summer in July, we did a really neat and new for the BIC thing. We premiered a film at the Palace Theater in Cape Charles. That film was Gatherings. And although it was released three years prior, the timing of that really coincided with the pandemic. And it kept that film from having a proper premiere. It was done via Zoom, which isn't, you know, even though we weren't as sick of Zoom then as we are now, that's not the the most glamorous way to roll out a film. And so we we thought that, and Jim thought as well, how neat would it be to to show show a film on the big screen? So now that we have seen one of our films on the big screen, it's going to be hard to go back to a, a more modest screening environment in our lovely yet not as large education building here. So I would say that if we're able to show our eighth film, which is currently in production and about the Alms House, if we're able to show that to audiences in a theater environment, that would um, that would really enhance our presence and our reach. I mean, we already have such a, um, a strong level of programming. You know, I welcome all folks, existing members, uh, new friends, new visitors to come in and explore, to read our newsletter, to experience what the BIC has to offer. We've had uh, just recently a, a gal came in with her family and she, she pulled me aside and she said, you know, I have to tell you, we are museum people, our family, and we've been to all sorts of places. And there's something about this place that just comes alive and kind of grabs you and lets you experience it in a way that other museums don't, which is really the highest compliment that anyone can can pay to us. That That's what we're trying to convey is the experience of that history and, and the special moments from the past. So everything is in our fall newsletter, which is actually out right now. And it's just chock full of all kinds of programming. It's it's truly amazing, the, the volume and variety of opportunities. I'm seeing a new fundraising event on the horizon with premiering those films in big theaters. And there are a number of theaters on the shore that uh, would lend themselves to 
moving the event around to different areas of the shore. That's very true. And that's that is definitely something we thought of in terms of, of utilizing other theaters. It's it's it was wonderful to have to start, you know, have that kind of first um, jumping off point at the Palace Theater. But we would love to to do things further north as well and, and reach even more folks. So absolutely. Before I let you go, you've got to tell me, what is your favorite aspect of your job? Oh, that's a hard one, David. Um, it's hard to narrow it down. Can I am I allowed to have more than just one? I won't. We, we can't stay all day, though, so I'll have to be off to edit a little bit. But, you know, I, I find it incredibly rewarding to be able to reach so many people, not just here on the shore, but beyond um, our immediate area. And even though we preserve and, and provide education tools related to the, the Eastern Shore Barrier Islands, those concepts of saving and honoring history and, and capturing oral histories, those concepts really transcend, they transcend the place and generation. So it's very uplifting to me when I see um, high school students, graduate students coming through the museum. And you can tell when that kind of light bulb moment goes off in their heads regarding the importance of documenting local history. And maybe that's not here on the shore. Maybe they're thinking of wherever they call home, but that's really neat. That's uh, definitely a favorite aspect. And then probably above anything else, I'd love the team environment. So there are just four of us who work at the BIC full-time. Sally Dickinson, who everybody knows as our executive director. We have Tracy Jones, director of education, who so beautifully um, pulls together all of the wonderful programming. And then Kristen Dennis is our office and communications manager. And without Kristen, uh, I don't know what we do. She keeps us all on track. Um, And then myself. So, and we're also supported by some really excellent part-time help, especially on the weekends. So we're a a small but mighty bunch. And uh, each one of the ladies I mentioned brings a different skill set and life experiences to their work at the Island Center. So we are truly very lucky to have such a great uh, team together. Megan Ames, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you, David. It's my pleasure. Several years ago, Hampton Roads Public Media, WHRO, did a series of short spots called Our Eastern Shore. On each of our podcasts, I will revisit one episode. Listen. Sam Milliner remembers growing up on the seaside of the Barrier Islands. You're listening to Our Eastern Shore. Down on the Accomack Northampton County Peninsula, on Virginia's eastern shore, streams run to the Machapongo Creek coming in from the Hog Island Bay, with a lot of salt marsh on both sides. The small streams in the marshes that run down into the creek are called guts. Some claim there are more living creatures per square foot in a salt marsh than most places on Earth. Migratory waterfowl, snipe, curlews, clapper rails, crabs, mussels, periwinkles, and in the guts, oyster beds and hibernating eels. Sam Milliner would fish for the family here with a rod and reel. His father always used a hand line. They'd row out to favorite fishing spots, catch the fish, and salt them to prepare for winter. And they'd shoot wild birds and prepare them. Sam, like his father, loved hunting and fishing, of course. They all did on the Eastern Shore. That's the way they lived. Our Eastern Shore is created by WHRO in partnership with the Barrier Island Center. Funding has been provided by the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities. You have been listening to Sharing the Mic with David Phillips. 
produced by the Barrier Islands Center on Virginia's Eastern Shore. Sally Dickinson, Executive Director. Kristen Dennis, Office and Marketing Manager. Megan Ames, Director of Planning and Development. Tracy Jones, Director of Education. The Barrier Island Center is located at 7295 Young Street in Machipongo, Virginia, 23405. The website is www.barrierislandscenter.org. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please direct them to bicpodcast at icloud.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. Until next time, stay safe and be well.